BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Geek Vibes Live is rated G for Geek. Hey, this is Matt Lesher. This is Phil Lamar. Hey, this is Rodney Taylor, a.k.a. the Penguin Gotham. You are listening to Geek Vibes Live. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Geek Vibes Live. I am your host, Tia Fabi, and tonight I am joined by the amazingly talented Kelly Cantrowitz. Kelly, how are you tonight? Hello, everyone. I'm doing great and excited to talk about the show. Yes, and the show that Kelly is referencing to is the Netflix series, You. If you haven't checked out You and you do not like spoilers, I would definitely suggest listening to this show maybe after you finish the season. But if you are okay with spoilers or you've already watched the show, then please join us. We are discussing this series that stars Penn Badgley um, as Joe, who probably would be the perfect ideal boyfriend if he wasn't such a crazy psycho stalker and killer. And jumping right in, I kind of want to shoot over to my co-host, Kelly, and ask her, what are your overall thoughts of the show, You? Well, um, I did read the novel version of You, um, which is a psychological thriller uh, based on a book. Um, And there was a lot of deviation, so I had to separate myself, as usual, from the theatrical version versus novel. Um, But I thought, you know, the New York setting gave me serious Dan Humphrey Gossip Girl vibes, but let's face it, I mean, he really honed in on his stalker skills when he played Dan Humphrey. Um, They called him A.K.A. Lonely Boy and Gossip Girl, so... uh, it was easy to see him in that role, surprisingly coming from a kind of teen drama 90210 type setting into, um, you know, this thriller um, where he has this personality that's secretive, he's charming, he's manipulative, and he's dangerous. Um, you know, his narcissism, his narcissism is 
makes it virtually impossible for him to see his own self for what he is and um, has a lot of shortcomings that we see throughout the show. So I thought it was wildly addictive. Um, You know, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Tia. What did you think of the show? Well, I'm really happy that you mentioned that it was originally a book because I actually had no idea. So I'm sure maybe for those who are viewing it just by flipping through Netflix, they didn't realize that. And as always, they say that you should probably read the book because of more detail and you're saying that it deviated. So I think that that would be something that if you're a fan of this show, you might want to pick up. I really hadn't even heard about this show. It premiered a few weeks ago in December and really from your suggestion and also uh, a mutual friend of ours who should be listening in on the show right now. I'm going to give him a little shout out, Steve DeSea. He recommended this show and from in between my binges of American Gods and The Punisher Daredevil, I decided to check out you. And as you said, it was uh, very addictive, very easy to watch. And my main thing is that sometimes as I was watching it, you almost forgot that he was as crazy as he was because the way they filmed some scenes was to show almost like this quote-unquote normal relationship between a guy and a girl, but then obviously between his narrative and then other scenes and actions that he would do, obviously, then you saw, no, this is not a normal, a normal love story between two people in New York City. And one of the main things that I kind of caught on to and made the comparison of, and I don't know if they did it on purpose, but I liked that if I thought of it that maybe some other people would think of it as well, but it almost had that, like, Fifty Shades of Grey feel, but an honest Fifty Shades of Grey feel. And I'm not sure if you know what I mean, but in the sense that in Fifty Shades of Grey, the guy is showing up randomly to uh, to where her family is. He's buying her these things to keep an eye on her. And in, say, Fifty Shades of Grey, it's romanticized and these young girls who are reading the book or watching the movie think that this is normal behavior. And in you, it's clearly showing you that this is not normal behavior, that Joe being the quote unquote quintessential nice guy doesn't mean that he is allowed to essentially take over your life and sway your decisions to where he thinks that you should be. And um, so, Kelly, would you kind of agree with that whole comparison with Fifty Shades of Grey, but almost in the uh, warning type of way? Yeah, well, Fifty Shades of Grey is is a completely controlling um romanticized fantasy that someone based off of twilight um so that's a whole nother conversation but i think the important thing to point out piggybacking off of your thoughts is um the show is following this trend that we're seeing of putting viewers into this morally ambiguous area 
Um, so shows like The Sinner, for example, where you find yourself actually sympathizing and maybe even rooting for the person that's on the other side of the equation, the, the, the bad guy, so to speak. Um, and, you know, romantic comedies have trained for us to root for, you know, those two crazy lovers getting together. And there is a weird aspect of this show that I feel like drew viewers into a point where they, they saw that these two people were both extremely flawed in their own ways. Um, and almost wanted it to work out in the end. Um, and I think that that comes with the, the aspect of putting yourself in the position of the viewer where they humanize the quote unquote villain of the story and you can find a connection to them. And I think, you know, we talked about this Pia that, you know, we're living in a world where people do stalk other people on social media. And obviously it's not taken to a point where you're standing outside their window, which Side note, no one in New York City keeps their floor-to-ceiling windows open at all times so people can see what they're doing (laughs) Um, and all their sexual endeavors. But, um, yeah, I really think that it touches on that aspect that we all kind of cringe internally as we watch in the beginning when it's, um, you know, not taken to that serious level that, wow, I see my girlfriends all the time stalking people stalking their friends finding out where they are because they tag their location I mean it really sheds light on um, our digital reality and how social media has infiltrated our lives and become such a big aspect of how we connect with people but not only that how we find out about people on a deeper level that they aren't aware of Right, and I, I think you made some really great points uh, about the social media and the stalking that it's almost become normalized in a way with, uh, as you said, as soon as, say, someone meets someone, they do instantly go on their Instagram, their Twitter, their Facebook, and you often hear people say, well, if he's not on social media, then there's possibly something wrong with the guy. What is he trying to hide? And I feel like the show definitely uh, mentioned that a few times, really played on that social norm that we've gotten ourselves into. And one of the things that I also wanted to point out, you mentioned the sinner and the reason why at times we kind of rooted for the main character who uh, the main villain guy, uh, which in the center was played by Jacob Pitt, JD, is because the actor is so good. And I don't think that maybe we would even be having these kind of discussions about Joe if it wasn't for someone like Ken playing him. He did a fantastic job of being charming and then being unhinged. And the thing that Then the second thing or third thing, I can't remember at this point, that I wanted to piggyback on was that you mentioned that both characters are flawed. And that kind of brings me to the next point that I wanted to discuss is that we had the main then female character who was Guinevere Beck or Beck as she was commonly referred to in the show. And I found myself personally 
not really liking her a whole lot. I felt bad for her, obviously, because Joe was so controlling of her life, and behind the scenes, this girl had no idea that he's stealing her phone, he's watching every text that she sends, every phone call that she makes, going to the extreme extent to capture her on-again, off-again boyfriend and literally keeping him in a cage before killing him, and then um, killing her best friend. So as terrible as that is, and no woman or man should even go through that, I really kind of disliked Beck. I didn't really care for her that much. Did you feel the same way, Kelly, or did you kind of feel like, well, she's young, and that's kind of really where young people are. They're in a stage in their life where they're unsure and they're not knowing, so they are making all these really kind of stupid decisions, I want to say. Yeah, so I have to say I also did not really like Beck's character. Um, You know, she had her own share of secrets, though, you know, they weren't as fatal as Joe's. Um, You know, I I felt like a lot of the time she was equally just as loathsome as Joe was. Um, And she tried to hide all of her you know, monsters and her secrets away and stuff them into a suitcase and try to, you know, pack it in a closet away and hide it. But through the show, we really untangle all these careful layers that she's built and that she's hidden behind this group of friends that she's so intimately woven with. Um, And they're all extreme extroverts and she's trying to, emulate fun loving nature that her friends have and she's just not there she's on the outside and you know she's an aspiring writer but throughout the show we see that she has zero dedication to her writing she uses excuses time after time um says she's suffering from writer's block but really I think it's um you know she just lacks any motivation on any level to make a change. And that shows with who she remains friends with to this day. Um, And I think that she had this really hidden desire to ultimately betray those she was close to, even though those she was close to weren't supportive, um, you know, genuine friends. Um, I thought she was the perfect recipe for just, ultimate disaster. And I think her combined with Joe, they were a match made in heaven. They're both just literally walking cataclysms waiting to burst. Um, And I thought it was really interesting how they wove their stories together because they both had serious issues. They both um, relied on deceit. They both, um, were wrapped into the impulsiveness and the need for attention and, and whatnot through social media culture. Um, You know, they were both in one way or another into the theme of a lack of digital privacy. So I think that their stories complemented each other really well, but I found myself at the end of the day, just not loving Beck's character. Um, 
you know, and I think that was how she was written. She was just equally, like I said, as loathsome as Joe's character, but there was something more redeeming for Joe's character because we saw his childhood and the trauma and his upbringing. And we could then sympathize why he is so messed up in the head currently to date. Yeah, it's the thing about Beth that really, and you mentioned the writing thing. And if you're, listen, writer's block happens to all of us. Kelly and I are writers, and I can't tell you how many times throughout the years that I have sat there going, there's nothing that is coming out of this brain right now. And that I get, but I almost felt like she was doing the whole writing thing almost to make herself more interesting. She's the uh, very heartfelt and very emotional, very sensitive writer. Everything happens to her. There were so many instances where she didn't need to put herself in those situations. felt like she a lot of times took no responsibility for things that were happening. And that is kind of what, irritated me a little about her and not that and her friends were equally terrible as well there was a second where I kind of liked Peach and I thought that maybe she was the only real person in that group and then we kind of find out that she also is equally as insane but that's another talking point and the thing that really kills me is I'm watching the show and obviously Joe is insane and he's a stalker and all that. And he has all these like uh, premonitions of what Beck is going to do. And then she did actually cheat. She did actually do that. This is not, and of course it does not justify Joe to the extent that he was going at, but he, his paranoia almost was correct. And she did do those things. She was having an affair on him, and she just seems like a very, like, she doesn't really know who she was, and she even makes that point that sometime in the show saying that she has no idea who she is, and she's trying to figure it out, but I didn't find that, um, I didn't find myself sympathetic for her in that instance. I just mostly found myself just annoyed at times with her, which is which is bad. Um, that's just how I felt about Beth. Do you, Kelly, have any final thoughts on that? Well, I have to say I agree with you, Tia. I think that she she didn't understand herself. She tried to integrate herself into a group of friends that just didn't fit her, and she thought, what could I bring to the table? She chose writing, and... Um, you know, we don't really get to understand if she is talented and if writing is in her nature because we really never get to that side of her. We get her trying to force it out. We see her telling lies, um, you know, to try to get ahead. But, I mean, ultimately at the end, yes, her book becomes a, I don't know if it became a bestseller, but well-known and and well-published, but because of the whole situation. So I don't know if that really counts. Um, But I just found that she was never really true to herself because she surrounded herself with people who 
were also not true to themselves, also had their secrets and lies, just like Peach, um, which I have to give a shout out to Shay Mitchell because I am a Pretty Little Liars fan and I loved seeing her in there. So that's my quick little quib for uh, Shay. But I mean, I thought she played her character well. But all the friends had something also to bring to the table. And I think it just goes to show at the end of the day that everyone has their secrets. Um, whether they're as destructive and as, you know, colossal as Joe's were or Beck's were, or they could be something minimal, but that people are human. And what we see on social media is a constructed version of people's lives that they want to put out there, that they want to show, that they hope is the reality when it's not. There's a lot of things going on behind closed doors. And I did like the aspect of us seeing through Joe, this is what on social media, this is what reality is. And I think that's, you know, probably not a takeaway that a lot of people are going to take from the show, but I think it's a really important criticism of what our reality is and, and how social media has become such a, um, you know, tool for people to live these lives that they're not living, but put out the picture or picturesque version of what they think they should be doing and uh, hoodwinking people in a sense into thinking that that's what their lives are for that need of approval, need of attention. And I think Beck had such a need for approval and attention um, stemming back to her issues with her father and her mother growing up um, that she kind of constructed this life and thought maybe writing will get me there. And I don't know if she was genuinely passionate about it. I think it's just something that she picked up and she followed, but never really got into because listen, Tia, we get writer's block, but you know, we get back to it and we grind it out eventually, you know, and she never got there. She never got to that point. She was always making excuses. And I just think that her heart wasn't in it. I think it was a facade um, to cover up a lot of her, her childhood trauma, her insecurities, her need to be accepted and get attention. And, you know, ultimately it was an outlet for her to try to measure up to what she really was. Yeah, I I have to completely agree with that. No, none of the characters were really who they put on to be. Beth wasn't really a writer. She wasn't really truthful. She wasn't this kind of uh, quote-unquote innocent type of person who I think Joe had fantasized in his mind. Obviously, Joe wasn't the romantic guy that he, I mean, maybe he was romantic in his own way, but um, he wasn't that Peach had her inner, um, and that was interesting, honestly, with Peach, because she really was lying to herself, and it was manifesting into this, like, crazy obsessiveness, and I really think that Peach could have ended up being the most grounded and realistic of all the characters if she had just allowed herself to be truthful about her sexuality, about her being, and really all of that 
stemmed from the fact that she just couldn't be truthful with herself. And then we had the other friends who we had uh, the girl Anika or Annika, sorry, Annika, who first of all thought she was fat. And I want to say in what world was she fat, but she was obviously trying to overcompensate for having the body issues that she did. And the other girl, I think Joe had made a point at some point to say that she was overcompensating by being overly sexual. So none of the characters were really who they were. And that kind of brings me around to maybe the only, one of the only, I think maybe there was about two, but the only character who was real and grounded, and that was Karen Minty. And I I want to say Karen Minty dodged a bullet by Joe eventually breaking up with her. But, and it segues into a topic that I wanted to speak about. So at some point in the show, again, if you don't mind spoilers and you haven't watched it, this is a spoiler. At some point, Joe and Beck break up which I was completely shocked about. Obviously, he was still obsessive, but the fact that he didn't lash out violently, I was very surprised about considering how latched on he was to Beck. But I think at that point, Beck was no longer the person fully who he had initially obsessed over. He gets with Karen, and they have this really seemingly normal relationship. There's nothing obsessive about it. He's not monitoring every single thing that Karen does. They are very intimate with each other. They have dinner together. They sit there and have their own schedules, their own interests. And I have to wonder, was Joe actually crazy? Or was he sane but had these obsessive qualities to him because we saw we saw with flashbacks that he was like this way with his ex Candace the way he was with Beth. But then he wasn't like that with Karen. So I'm wondering what made Karen so different? Why was he so different? And then why was he overly crazy with Beth? Was it because Beck reminded him of Candace. Um, I just, I, I thought that was very interesting that they threw the Karen storyline in there. And I never saw that coming when they bump and then we see him have this uh, traditional relationship really with Karen. And I was wondering, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And on top of that, Knowing what we know, what Joe did to Beck, were you ever rooting for him and Karen? Or were you like, no, that guy's still crazy and a killer. So either way, this needs to stop. You know, I I don't want to use the word crazy. As much as he made poor decisions and you know, there were many actions he took that he deserves to be behind bars. I think at the end of the day, I think there's triggers for him and we might get a better look in season two of what those triggers may be. 
we got a flashback to his childhood. I mean, this is a big part of how he became what he became. He was a very innocent kid and he was abused. Um, He was locked up. He was uh, refused food, refused water. He had to cope with um, mental aspects of questioning life, questioning death, questioning everything about himself locked into a chamber when he was just a boy. And uh, that's just not a time your brain is fully developed and ready to ask those questions. And I think that he could potentially be capable of having a stable relationship if he had the right help. Um, But I think ultimately there were triggers. And once he saw that things didn't line up, that this is what I see here. And then I'm finding out all these things and I'm finding, you know, I'm following these little trails of, um, you know, Easter eggs are leaving and they're not panning out the way I think. I, I feel like that just fueled um, what he had already inside of him, um, you know, and he did bad things. Uh, he's not a good person, but I also don't want to say that he was just inherently an evil person because, you know, I like that the show did humanize him. He had a bad past and people are very quick to judge when they see someone do something crazy or have a bad action when, you know, you like, with the center I hate to bring up the same show but you have something traumatic that happens and you don't even realize it's subconscious your reaction when that trigger pushes you to that really bad place of your life and you react in a way that you might not normally if you weren't exposed to such a bad situation um so I I'm really not sure why the dynamics were so different it really came down to just the storylines and what unfolded and what he was exposed to at the time and what he could handle. Yeah, it it really felt like this is a guy who, at times, this is a guy who could have potentially been on the straight and narrow if it weren't for the fact that he had this obsessive, behavior that obviously not only stems with his ex Candace, but as you said, his childhood, which was really insane. I, when they finally showed those flashbacks, I, I was wondering to myself, what person locks kid up in a glass room and deprives him of these, you know, essentials, food, water, all of that. And, but then we saw that, unfortunately, like many abuse cases, that he kind of not necessarily, you know, made the guy his idol, but he picked up the book business. He really embodied a lot of the things that this older guy had taught him. And then we saw at some point him using the same techniques that were used on him because that is really all he knew. And it's that that really played with us as well as 
the Paco storyline with the young boy, there was nothing evil about his relationship with Paco. He, you know, never, he never was using him. He was never um, kind of, you know, obsessed with him. He was never really having his claws in him. He was just genuinely friendly with this kid and I think he saw a lot of himself in this young child with uh, the kid having his mother who is an addict and the mother's boyfriend is a very abusive alcoholic and this young kid is just into books and I think that Joe saw someone very much like himself and he was trying to give Paco at least a little bit of an outlet so that maybe he didn't have to grow up the way that he grew up. And I really, and again, I think that that storyline was put in there for two reasons. One being to kind of almost mess with the viewers in showing you how really should you feel about Joe, because at one hand you have what he's doing with Beth, you have what he's doing with Beth's boyfriend, Beth's best friend, but then we have him just being good and genuine to Paco. And then I think that the um, other way of putting in Paco was kind of also to set up for what we saw at the end, have this loyalty between Joe and Paco. Um, I just thought that was really interesting that they even threw that in there. Just really, it messed with me. Because there were times that I saw him with the young kid and I really was like, oh, this is nice that he's treating this boy kindly when obviously this kid has such a terrible home life. But then at the same time, I'm remembering, hey, he did all these other things too and that's really bad. So it's really it's really strange that they decided to put that in, but also I just thought that that was really great on the writers for even throwing the Paco storyline in. Um, how did you feel about his relationship with Paco? I think it was another way for the writers to humanize the character and show that there are many layers to people. There are people dealing with a lot of personal issues. Um, Joe clearly never got the help he needed. Um, so just as a general, um, you know, PSA, if you see a friend that's in need and needs help, you got to talk to them because that's Joe's situation. He was abused as a kid and he never got the proper help. And I think inherently he is a good person. And we saw even as a kid, he was a good person. He was very bright. He was imaginative. He loved books. He loved adventure. He was curious and intellectual. And I think that he was ruined. He had experiences that just completely derailed the path he was on and damaged him mentally. And, you know, unfortunately, it carried into adulthood. And I think he has the capacity to truly love, not love in a, you know, stalkerish way. But we 
see with his neighbor that he cares about the situation. He cares about the kid and there's nothing in it for him. There isn't, you know, he isn't getting further with Beck by treating this kid nicely. He is doing it out of the goodness of his heart. He sees a bad situation and he wants to correct it. And I think part of that goes back to him seeing himself in his neighbor. Um, You know, he, you know, it's not the same situation by any means, but he's seeing abuse. He's seeing a child. He knows what it can do to you. And he wants to save him from that situation. But unfortunately, Unfortunately, what we see is there's an opportunity for um, him to do good when Beck runs up the stairs and she's locked behind a cage and she says, help me. And when he finds out Joe's down there with her because he has formed such an allegiance with Joe because he's been the only positive light in his life. He walked away from Beck, and he made a poor decision. Um, You know, so it's really a hard dichotomy between what's right, what's wrong, how much your brain is moldable as a child and how that grows and, uh, you know, molds as you get older. Um, and I just really think that there are so many different sides to Joe that, you know, we don't consider. I don't agree with social media aspects, and I'll let you, Tia, you know, segue into that. But um, I do think there are redeeming qualities about Joe. And I think that um, we can't discount what he went through. It messed him up. And he, you know, he never got to resolve those issues and now they're manifesting later in life in a negative way. And unfortunately in a way that is not acceptable uh, in society, but um, to him, he's not seeing the wrong in it because he's taking positive emotions like love and manipulating and skewing them to fit his thought processes, which he thinks are okay because he's never had someone to tell him what's right. I'm so happy that you brought up the end with her, with Beth running up the stairs because that shocked the shit out of me. Um, to see this little boy and there's Beck just wanting him to help her. And I was like, yes, this is it. Finally, she's going to get out. And when she was like, um, you know, Joe's down here. And he's like, Joe? oh, then I'm just going to walk away. And I think that because when Joe killed his, uh, I know that it wasn't necessarily his stepfather, but I'm just going to use that for the sake of making this easier. Uh, When he killed Paco's stepfather, almost like made this bond and kind of carried on this same uh, ideology that when Joe wants killed the guy that Candace was cheating on him with and the old guy said you know some people just deserve killing and I think he almost like helped catapult that type of thinking into Paco not obviously that advanced because Paco is a child even though children are way smarter than we give them credit for 
but I think that really tied it in because Paco saw that this guy, his stepfather, was such a bad man, and Joe killed him, and that was his salvation. So, and not that I think that Paco thought that far ahead of what would happen to Beth, but I think that he was just looking out for Joe because Joe had done that for him previously. But that was so crazy when, like, biggest plot twist almost, in my opinion, of that show was just Paco walking away. And that was crazy to me. And I really did not expect the ending, how it ended. When, because they don't show. They do not show what Joe did to Beth. Obviously, you're terrified because now she's stuck in that cage with Joe. But then they all of a sudden start segue, segue, I can't even talk. They transition into him promoting her book and putting it in his bookstore and all these people who knew her speaking um, and then his narrative. I was like, oh, my God, he really did it. He really killed her, and this is her story. I mean, we, we had the whole entire show, and Beck is in it, and we even had that one episode where for maybe the first half of the episode, she was um, doing the narrative. So I really did not expect that at all. And Joe to almost be the triumphant one in this story, that Beth was just another um, step, not step, another chapter, another chapter that now he has closed and he's going on to the next one. But it almost, and in that moment, for someone who really didn't like Beck all that much, in that moment, I did feel bad because did she deserve to die? Absolutely not. And I was rooting for her, and I thought that that was the way that they were going to go, that she would get out and however, whatever direction they went from there, but I didn't see that coming at all. And it almost, it it was a plot twist that I didn't expect, and I'm almost happy they went with it because um, as viewers, we always like watching shows or movies that have an unexpected turn. And I, so Kelly, did you, did you think Joe was actually going to kill Beck? Well, I'm probably not the correct person to ask that because I did read the book. Um, and it, uh. although, it de- <laughs> although it deviated, um, it still ended in that. Um, you know, for a while, though, watching the show, because as you know, uh, shows and movies, can deviate greatly and give completely different endings. So it, it, it almost doesn't matter sometimes what's in the book because, um, you know, the writers for the, the production will choose what they want to choose and what feels right when they're crafting the storyline. Um, watching it, I knew it was inevitable. Um, you know, unfortunately, I just think that he got to a point where if it's not my way, you're out. Um, and I'll find a way to move on, and I'll find a way. There'll be a next, um, you know, which we see at the end of the show, that there is a next, and we're set up for season two. 
Um, you know, but I, I unfortunately did know it was coming or see it coming even without the prior knowledge, because I could see him not getting his way. And I know that's the, that's the point where the, the switch flips for him and it really throws him over the edge and he needs to have control because he didn't have control as a child and and now what he needs is to be in control. Um, and this was the only way he could get what he wanted. All right. So since you read the book, um, and at the end of the show, we see Candace, who for we never saw her actually die. We're kind of left with that feeling that that's probably the direction that it went considering the whole entire series what we've seen but we never saw him actually kill her and we never heard him say that that's what he did and so when she shows up at the end after having disappeared for so long I didn't expect that at all so my my two questions are does that happen in the book and what are your expectations I don't want to spoil it, but I'm going to say this, I, that he had manifestations of her throughout the show, and I think that we can expect in season two to bet for Beck to make a similar appearance. I think he, I think because he is inherently good but was dealt a bad card and it has skewed him into a, you know, a vicious individual that he is now, I think that good part of him, um, you know, projects these bad things he's done into the world um, as we saw him being tortured throughout the series. And I think we can certainly see as a buildup for season two as Beck coming back to haunt him for what he's done. And I'm interested to see, will that push him over the edge um, you know, or, or how he will cope with that in any way and who will be his next victim when that comes around. And, uh, you know, just reading up on, on what I've seen online, it sounds like the second season will be even a further of a deviation from the book. Um, from the second book. So I am very curious to see what they do with it and, um, how they really manipulate his character. Is he gonna, is he gonna pull through? Is he gonna understand that he has been hurt in, in tremendous ways that, you know, most of us cannot relate with, or will he continue down this path and it will just be cyclical and he will continue to go through this over and over again. I mean, at some point, when is the law going to catch up with him, you know? Um, when is his conscience going to catch up with him? Because it seems like it already has. He's hallucinating. And, uh, you know, I think that's just going to basically snowball into a dark abyss in the second season. So I'm really excited to see what the writers decided to do with it. Really quick, guys. Kelly, can you hear me, by the way? Yeah, I can hear you. My phone drops, of course. 
always fun when technical difficulties um, happen, but <laughs> I'm glad the that you... The very technical age always coming through. Sometimes it is just as much a crutch as it is an advancement, which is kind of ironic that this is the show that we're talking about, and that happened with how invasive social media is and technology is, so... Um, really kind of almost glad it happened. There you go. But anyway, season two, I am not really expecting anything um, and everything almost. I'm just excited to watch it and see where this manifests and where we go. I almost thought in a way when they were tying everything up with the backstory that it would have been good as um, a contained uh, series. Just just do the 10 episodes and that's it. It's like The Sinner. I kind of love that you and I have been mentioning The Sinner as much as we have this whole entire show. It's almost funny to me. But now that they had the ending with Candace in, we're going to obviously see where that goes in season two. And in a way, it's, I feel that it's going to really change up the dynamics of the show because Candace is on to Joe, and Candace knows Joe now. And so we're almost seeing someone who's going to be on his playing field. And that is it's, it's going to be interesting to see the direction that the second season goes into, at least for me, going in with, no expectations. Um, I know that they haven't even started to film the second season, but it, it's definitely going to be unique, and I'm looking forward to how Joe's personal problems are really going to come into play here. Um, so really kind of the last point that I want to make, Kelly. Uh-oh, did your phone drop out? You there, Tia? All right, let's give her a minute to see if she hops back on the line. If not, I'll wrap this up for you guys, okay? I'm back, guys. Sorry about that. This is just kind of that crazy night where apparently everything needs to go wrong. Um, Sorry about that, (laughs) Kelly. Can you hear me? I can. Don't worry. I let everyone know we were going to give you a minute to get back in, and if not, I would wrap it up for everyone. So I'm glad (laughs) you got to rejoin the conversation. Thank you. Um, The last point really I wanted to make here was Penn Badgley really uh, is kind of making it his mission on Twitter that whenever someone mentions that Joe is dreamy and the ideal boyfriend and yada, 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 that that is not something that you should fantasize because Joe is a crazy stalker who invades your privacy and a killer. And I wanted to kind of know, like, your, like, opinions on that. I thought it was great that Penn 
um, had the courage to speak up. You know, a lot of times there are so many things going on on social media, so many fan theories, so many directions, so many memes. I mean, how do you digest that all as an actor, um, you know, or even someone who's part of a production? But I think this was an instance where Penn had to speak up because people were um, romanticizing his character and fantasizing about being on the reciprocating end of what Beck went through. Um, and unless you want that to end in your death, uh, if you actually watch the full show through, um, I'm going to say at the end of the day, you need to go with Dan Humphrey and Gossip Girl versus him <laughs> um, playing Joe in this series. But I really respect him as an actor for um, speaking up and giving his two cents short and sweet. This is not a character that we should be um, – you know, fantasizing about being in our lives. This is a very um, unhealthy, um, not two-sided relationship. Um, there's a lot of things going behind the scenes that Beck doesn't know about. There are things that are going behind the scenes in Beck li- Beck's life that Joe only knows about because he's stalking her. Um, so please, um, if there's a note to take away from this, Yes, he is hot. Um, yes, I would love to meet him in person, but his character in this show is not someone we should be romanticizing. Kelly, I think you put it perfectly. Um, just as she said, this is more of a cautionary tale. If anything, do not romanticize Joe. You can absolutely swoon over Penn Badgley, but do not romanticize Joe because it's just not a healthy relationship. That's not how two people should be on either side. But I think that we have covered everything on the Netflix series, You. Um, If you have not watched it, and hopefully that this discussion has kind of made you want to dive right in, um, I would love to get everyone's opinions on this show. Uh, Kelly, thank you so much for being a part of this and also holding down the fort when I had. uh... Oh, and you had the technical difficulties like you're having now. Are you still there? Of course not. Uh, So I'll wrap it up for everyone. Tia did a great job hosting the show. you know, that's the reality of our digital world. Our technology is supposed to help us, but a lot of times it hinders us. So um, we would love to hear your comments and feedback about the show. If you haven't um, had the chance to check out you, highly recommend it. It's addictive. You'll binge it and you'll go through it quickly. We can look forward to the second season coming up. Um, And, hey, if you'd like to hear us talk to Penn Badgley, make a shout out to him. I'd love to hear his take on going from Dan Humphrey and Gossip Girl to this character and what it's been like dealing with a lot of the feedback he's been getting that's romanticizing a character that is very um, selfish and traumatized and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, very destructive. Um, so if you guys would like to hear that, help us out. Let's get him here, and we'd love to talk to him. Um, but otherwise, I want to say 
thank you guys for joining us tonight. Um, it was a great show, and we look forward to the next one. I uh, just want to say, follow me if you have an opportunity. I'm Kay Cantro on Twitter, and I would love to hear your guys' thoughts. So thank you for joining us tonight. We've had a great show. And I'm sorry Tia couldn't be here to wrap up, but um, also take your time to follow her at Tia Baby at, um, on Twitter as well. Thank you guys so much. Have a good one. Thanks. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.